Luke chapter 4. And the title is Spirit-Led and Equipped. Spirit-Led and Equipped. And uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead us to places we didn't expect to go. It's like having a plan, but then God changing it or altering it completely. It, it, it can shock us at times. Um, on Thursday, I had to run an errand, and so I went out to get it done, and there was a man and his four kids in this parking lot where I was, and they had a trailer, and they were selling uh, food they had cooked, and the Holy Spirit was clearly speaking to me, and I was clearly trying to ignore him. Um, and I, I had some other errands to run, and I, I had to study, and I was behind, but the Spirit kept nudging me, and I, I, I believe the Lord wanted me to interact with this guy, uh, give him money and pray for him. And, and, and often our initial reaction to the Spirit leading in a direction that isn't on our to-do list is kind of shocking. And so I awkwardly drove around the parking lot, like, asking the Lord, are you sure you want me to talk to this guy? Like, I don't know him. I, I don't know this guy at all, who he was, where he's from. I have no clue. Um, when I was a kid, my parents told me not to talk to strangers, God. So, like, you know, should I really talk to him? Um, making excuses. And I, I saw him at one point when I, before I stopped, like, looking at me, like, what's this guy doing? Because I'm driving around, like, looking at him, you know. But, um, but it was a definitely an affirmative from the Lord. Uh, so I drove up to this father and his kids, and I asked what kind of food they served, and they had ribs and chicken and some other great stuff. But I got out of my car, and I just handed this guy that, you know, some money, and I told him, the Lord wanted me to give you this. And the stranger I didn't know looked up at me just totally shocked. And he proceeded to tell me he was going uh, to go on a missions trip to Kenya in August, and that the money would feed a lot of families. You know, of course, I, I had no clue. And I was like, wow. So he, I found out he was, a, he was a believer. And we conversed. I prayed for him and his family and the mission trip. I got in my car and drove away. But looking back at that moment, I'm glad I didn't make an excuse in my head and just drive away. You know, I think I, I, think I know I've missed a lot of God-led opportunities like that. I mean, we all have, right? Because we let errands or busyness that we have take, take us away from the eternal sometimes. And I sometimes let the physical and material usurp the spiritual. But this time, I'm like, no, I need to do this. <laughs> i got to do this. It, it kinda, and afterwards, you know, it fired me up because God is, works in those conversations and those uh, divine appointments, some of us call them, right? Jesus was led by the Spirit after, like, remember this powerful moment where the Father spoke, Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit fell upon Jesus, and so Jesus went to this moment to a five-star resort with all the amenities, right? No, no. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness right after this powerful, God-led moment. And this shows us that just because we're believers doesn't mean we are exempt from trials and hardships, desert seasons, and times in the wilderness. But a couple of things to note here, just because you're in the wilderness you know, and, and things look sparse and bleak, it doesn't mean that God is not with you, right? Like he is. Like the Spirit didn't lead Jesus into the wilderness and then leave him there alone. It's like when I was snowboarding in Tahoe for the first time years ago, a friend group who I went with to the ski resort, we got to the top of the hill. I thought we were all going to go together. You know, they were really good snowboarders. One of them was pro, and they were all amazing. And, and, and we got to the top, you know, and they're like, good luck learning, and they all left. And I was at the top of the, I've never been, I'd never been to a ski resort at all in my life. It was on this, on this snowboard going, you know, and it was like an intermediate thing. And I was like, I'm alone. <laughs> the Holy Spirit wasn't being cruel, didn't leave Jesus alone. He wasn't just because he had hard times. You know, the Spirit is with us wherever we go. 
And sometimes the wilderness is that place where we learn to trust God even more. And sometimes we're led into the wilderness so our faith goes from stagnant to flourishing. You know, we will make it through any unsure time by the power of the Spirit and by God's Word. David Jeremiah, he said this, he said, Don't let obstacles along the road to eternity shake your confidence in God's promise. He said, the Holy Spirit is God's seal that you will arrive. So what he's saying and what is true is that with the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word, you will get through any and every obstacle and resist temptations. And the devil started from the presupposition that Jesus was the Son of God, if you notice. Like verse 3 and verse 9 of chapter 4, the enemy doesn't give a supposition that Jesus is the Son of God. He gives an affirmation actually. The fact that Jesus is God was basis for the enemy's temptations. And that's the thing. Satan wanted Jesus to disobey the Father's will by using his divine power for his own purposes. And that's the thing. The enemy will test believers and tempt believers because he wants us to run away from our Heavenly Father. He wants us to question truth and disregard divine authority. The devil would love to get us off our heavenly path and he entices us to constantly do so. He wants us to believe that, hey, it would be better in the woods, right? Like off of the road of God's will. But the issue is, when we get off of the road of God's will, we will get lost. We will be confused. We'll be in the dark. If the enemy can get us to this point, he won't have to expand any more energy on us because we'll be off of the path of God's purposes, so he doesn't have to bother with us. See, giving into one temptation can easily lead to eventually giving into all temptations. You ever, you ever have just a, a bag of chips? Like, I don't know. Like think about a bag of chips. Okay, I like chips. I like chips and salsa. I like different. Think about your favorite bag of chips. You ever open the bag and the smell? You just like you smell it. You know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm weird. But you, you open the bag. You you just like oh, and you have. Do you ever just like have one chip and then like roll it up and put the clip on and put it? No, right? No, I'm not, I don't know anyone. If you've done that, I commend you. You are more godly than me. But, <laughs> but, but really, it's like you don't have just one. Pretty soon, it's like, oh, the chips are gone. Sorry, family. Like, you just keep eating, right? And it's like, maybe it's just... So it's not just me. There's one other here. That, But, um, but man, giving into temptation actually can become a dangerous pattern, right? And a vicious cycle, because like one time giving in can lead to a bunch of times giving in. Like when this happens, our hearts can go from uh, passionate to pessimistic or from believer to backslider, from free to being in sin. And, and anytime we're, we're taking a step backwards, we're headed to Egypt, if you will. And Egypt is a type of the world. Anytime we're taking a step forward, we're headed towards the promised land, which is a type of eternity type of heaven. So Jesus was tempted because he's our high priest who can relate to humanity, our struggles, our sorrows, our trials. Jesus was also tempted because it was proof of the Father's approval. John 8, 29 says, Jesus truly was the beloved son who always does whatever the Father pleases. So in Jesus' temptations, he exposed the enemy's tactics, which we spent a couple of weeks going over. Remember, the first Adam was tempted in a beautiful garden, and he failed. The last Adam, Jesus, was tempted in a dangerous wilderness, and he succeeded. 
So as we look at these verses, let's take note how Jesus resisted the enemy's enticements even at his weakest point. Let's take note so that we can actually be prepared for what comes our, our way. Because temptations will come. We looked at that last week. They will come. And the enemy won't let up just because we're tired of it. I'm tired of the enemy. And he's not just like, oh, I'll take a break from you. You have a week without, without being tempted. It's not like that, right? Temptations will come. He's ruthless. He's relentless. The enemy's hateful. He's uncaring. The devil is deceitful. He's destructive. So we must be on guard if we are to resist his ways and his ungodly goals. John really gives us a snapshot of the ways in which the devil tempts. Right? He only has three tools in his toolbox, if you will. He has three ways, and they're listed in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of this world. See, Satan tempts us in order to bring out the worst in us. Right? But God uses our trials and temptations to put the best in us. Like the enemy's goal is to beat us up. Right? He just wants to beat us up, beat us down, break down our faith. God's goal is to build us up, to encourage us, exhort us, build, like spiritually, to equip us to resist evil and cling to all that is good and godly. So before we get into these three types of temptations, let's look at the first uh, action to take. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to get into your word. We pray that your word will get into our hearts and to the core of who we are, Lord, so that we may not sin against you, so that when temptations come, we can recognize and run, Lord, we can recognize and resist, Lord. We just thank you for this time. Thank you for equipping us with all we need, Lord, uh, to fight for the faith, Lord, to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, And then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. So the first thing is letting the Spirit lead. Now, for the follower of Christ, we are to be Spirit-led people. Right? Like, we don't lead ourselves nor are we to solely let circumstances and therefore reactionary actions lead us. Like we're to walk in the Spirit to resist temptation, and we are to be led by the Spirit so we stay in the light instead of cower away in the darkness. Now, some would think, as they look at verse 1 and 2, that the Spirit drove Jesus into the, you know, into the, to the face of Satan because the Spirit was trying to take Jesus out. No, like that's not it at all. It's more like this. If you were to buy, and I say this because I really think they look cool, the new Bronco, have you seen the new Broncos? I've seen those, some of those driving around. I'm like, oh man, you're rich. I love that car. But the new Bronco, and, and you were at a dealership, you'd look at the Bronco, the salesman would tell you all about all it can do, right? But before you purchase it, what would you want to do? Like, like, what would you do to make sure that this off-road vehicle handled nicely and had power? Well, you'd want to take it to the mountains or the desert or the hills or wherever. Just You want to test it out and drive it. You want to make sure this Bronco is powerful like it was advertised. Well, similarly, the, the Spirit was able to show off the power and the ability and the perseverance, the tenacity, and the holiness of Jesus. And so let's look at this practically and personally. Like, The Lord allows hardships in our lives. Why? Because the Spirit wants to show His strength in our lives. Right? So the devil will cower away. Like The enemy can't have anything to do with the light. Right? Like, he is the epitome of darkness. 
So remember, the enemy only has three plays in his playbook, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, uh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he uses these temptations over and over and over again. So first one, resisting the lust of the flesh. Verse 3 and 4 says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So resisting the lust of the flesh, stones into bread. So the first temptation that Satan used in the Garden of Eden was the same as he used in the wilderness, like the lust of the flesh. Like this is the same temptation that he sets before you when he whispers, you know, don't, don't you think God wants you to experience pleasure in this world? Right? Like look at the worldly fun you could be having right now. And the reality is the writer of Hebrews noted there is pleasure in sin for a season. Hebrews 11.25. Right? Like if, there was, if there wasn't temporary pleasure in sin, then every believer, we would, we would never give in to temptation. We would all be sinless. We'd be like, yeah, no big deal. I have no desire for those things. Right? But there is pleasure in ungodly actions for a short time. And here's, here's really the choice that we're faced with every day. If you give in to the lust of the flesh, you will have pleasure for a moment, but you'll experience pain the rest of your life. Or if you deny your flesh, you may experience pain for a moment, but you'll have pleasure for the rest of your life. There's no long-term benefits to giving in to temptation. It, what, giving in to temptation won't make temptation go away. Okay, I gave in, got past that, now it won't come. The devil's like, oh, okay, that's the weakness? I'm going to use that again and again and again and again. One of the implications of the first temptation is the devil wanted Jesus to question the Father's love because if God really was love, then why would Jesus be deprived of food? If God loved you, he wouldn't deprive you of food for over a month. Well, one commentator said this, it's, it's better to be hungry in the will of God than satisfied out of the will of God. We see Jesus responded by submitting to the word and quoting the word. Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, now, Jesus validated the importance of God's word, and he used scripture to protect against Satan. And that's, that's why I love the word of God is called the sword of the spirit, and it really does fight back against the enemy's temptations. When we use the word as a weapon, not against each other, but against the evil one, we're fighting to win. In the phrase Jesus used, he emphasized the word man. Now, because Jesus was a man, he hungered, 100% man, 100% God, he hungered and he trusted the Father to meet his needs in his own time and his own way. So as believers, like we need spiritual nutrients from God's word in order to be strengthened and satisfied. As we read and meditate on the word of God, we receive spiritual strength and health for the inner person, which enables us to obey the will of God. So number one, use God's word to resist the lust of the flesh. Number two, resisting the lust of the eyes, right? So verse five to eight says, and then the devil taking him up on the high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So resisting the lust of the eyes, the world's kingdoms and glory. 
So Satan had the right to offer the carnal kingdom of the world. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that he's called the God, lower G, the God of this world. The lust of the eyes has to do with being tempted to do what is wrong, but it's also seeing any other way than God's way to get things done. A.W. Tozer said God's will or God's plan will continue on God's schedule. God's plan will continue on God's schedule. The lust of the eyes has to do with being led by what we see rather than where God is leading and what God is leading us to do. Like, you, you ever act impulsively? Ask my wife, and she'll say, my husband never does, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, I, really, she'll verify that I've acted and spoken a time or two without any forethought. And now, I'm not talking about deciding where you want to eat, you know, or, but I'm talking about like big life decisions and God's will and God's way. Like, like the lust of the eyes has to do with seeing something and therefore deciding without seeking the Lord. God's plan for his son was perfect, and there was an order that was already decided by God. But the enemy wanted Jesus to usurp God's authority and take the fast track by offering earthly kingdoms. See, the Father promised the Son all the kingdoms of the world in Psalm 2. But first, Jesus had to suffer and die. We know that. The suffering must come first and then the glory. The enemy offers Jesus the kingdoms if Jesus worships him. And this would eliminate Jesus even going to the cross. So much easier. It'd be so much easier, right? No, not in the long run, and not according to God's will. Satan's always wanted to take God's place and, and be worshipped. Evil looks for opportunities, but Jesus resists and uses Scripture as a sword. Jesus uses God's Word as a weapon. He uses Deuteronomy 6.13. Jesus really clarifies Satan's use of Scripture. Satan never said anything about service. Okay, so But Jesus responded by making clear that whatever we worship, that's what we're going to serve. Whatever one is consumed with, that is their God. In the world, people today are consumed with all kinds of things. Money, power, sex, social media, themselves. People these days are, are serving those things that they're consumed with. You are a slave and a servant to whatever you think on the most. The reality is, service to the Lord is total freedom. But service to Satan is bondage. And, and again, God's pattern is to start with suffering and end with glory. Satan's pattern is to start with glory, but end with suffering. And the enemy really wants us just to sacrifice the eternal for the temporary and take the supposed easy way. Like, sin isn't the easy or simple way. It is difficult. It's overcomplicated. Sin is what the devil would like us to think is the easy way. Right? It's like taking a shortcut that never leads to your destination. The enemy has easy ways that look good. They look great up front, right? But those ways end up at dead ends. You ever done that? You, you're driving somewhere and all of a sudden it's a dead end. You're like, the little dot says to keep going, but it's a dead end. That's what the enemy wants to do, lure you in, and you realize this is a dead end. There's no easy way to spiritual victory and spiritual maturity. Like spiritual maturity, it takes time, it takes initiative, it takes dependence upon the Lord. And that's the thing, if you think about the stark reality of what Jesus had to go through, Jesus had to hang on a tree before he sat on the throne. So his followers shouldn't expect an easier way. 
You know, Satan, Satan questioned the Father's love when he tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread. Father's love. Satan questioned Jesus' hope when he offered Jesus the world's kingdoms, the side of the cross. Satan questioned the Father's faithfulness when he asked Jesus to jump from the temple and prove the Father would keep his promise. So the enemy attacked on three main biblical virtues, faith, hope, and love. These are the three things we must have as believers, and these are the three things the enemy wants to attack, diminish, and destroy. Faith, hope, and love. So use God's word to resist the lust of the eyes. And the third temptation, resisting the pride of life. Verse 9 to 11 says, And then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So resisting the pride of life, jump from the temple. The temple was the highest point of the holiest place. And I think one of the places the enemy is most active is when believers assemble together. At the temple, at the place where people of God meet. He tries to get envy, apathy, jealousy, cynicism into the fold so he can break it all apart. He tries to throw a temptation grenade in the midst of believer, a believing crowd to break it all apart, right? Church division, right? This is the third temptation. And Satan actually quoted scripture. The enemy knows the word of God better than any human. And he uses it as a weapon as well to tear down, to break apart, to destroy. And of course, he's a scripture twister for sure. You ever play, play the game Twister? Do they still have that? They still have that game around? Is that so? Okay. Um, at the end of the game, before someone falls, because someone will fall and get hurt probably and strain something, but uh, the people are twisted up in pain, you know, playing the game, nervously laughing. But this is what Satan does with the word. He uses some of the truth, but then he inserts a few words that would cause doubt and a questioning of God's ways. Satan quoted Psalm 91, 11, and 12. And of course, Satan misquoted these verses, and omitted in all thy ways, we tempt God when we try and force him to act contrary to his word. Look through the word, you'll clearly see that it's a dangerous thing to, to try God's patience. So Satan misquoted scripture, and, and Jesus' reply was, on the other hand, it is written. He quoted uh, Deuteronomy 6.16. Jesus balanced scripture with scripture to get the total meaning and understanding of the truth. See, when we take verses in isolation and other verses, we can make, you know, we can make, make the mistake, we, we omit other verses, we can make the mistake of not letting Scripture speak for itself. You know, it says in the Bible that there is no God. If we just took that part of the Scripture and said, look, there's no God, an atheist can go around and say, look, there's no God. But you've got to look at the whole, whole verse. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. And so... We don't ever take a verse in isolation and try to make it say what we want it to say, right? We let Scripture speak for itself. Almost every single false cult claims to be based on the Bible. So Jesus used the Word of God to resist against temptation. Use God's Word to resist the pride of life. And lastly, we see spiritual victory. In verses 12 and 13, it says, And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him until an opportune time. So Jesus had victory by the Spirit's power and by the Word of God. And, and this is why we must be students of the Word. 
2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And, and I love it. I love Acts 20.27. 20, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And so we have the whole complete canon of Scripture, all 66 books, and like, it's, it's like a whole meal, right? Again, we're not called to be cafeteria Christians, picking and choosing what we like, throwing away what we don't like. Like, we have the whole thing. The whole Bible makes a whole believer, someone, someone said. I don't know. But, but the enemy departed because he failed. He did not have victory. Jesus had victory because he was led by the Spirit and he used God's Word. It really boils down to those two things. Very simple, actually. Scripture is our sword that we use against the wiles of the devil, the attacks of the enemy. So I would say fall in love with the truth from God and get to know it. Be students of the Word and keep learning, using and applying the Word of God in your life situations. Then you'll be safe, secure, protected, established so strongly on the Word that the enemy will try to get a foothold, but he has no chance. He will fail. Let's be spirit-led people and people of the word, and then we'll resist the enemy's deceitful ways. Psalm 119, 11 to 13 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. This is what Jesus did. He had the word in his heart. He spoke it in response to temptations, and he did not sin. And so the scriptures before us are treasures, and they're useful in trials. So many times we're like, I have so many problems, I need to talk to everyone and see which opinion I like. But instead, it's like, I have so many problems, so many trials, so much stuff going on, I need to get into the Word and figure out what God wants me to do. This is where all the answers are, right? This isn't a philosophy book full of questions. This is is, uh, words from God with all the solutions. God's Word guides and directs us in the way we should go. And let me just leave you with a psalm that has spoken to me since I was a new believer that has helped me tremendously when things seem cloudy or blurry, when, I, or when I'm making like a big life decision, and I'm like, which way should I go, or what should we do? Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's spirit guides, and God's word illuminates our path. Aren't you glad? <laughs> I'm so happy that the Lord doesn't leave me wondering and wandering. Yes, I'll be led into the wilderness from time to time, but God is there with me, growing me, leading me, empowering me, strengthening me. He has a purpose for those trials that we face. He has the purpose even in those moments of pain where we don't understand. We might not ever understand. We might understand at the back end. We're like, I get what you were doing there, Lord. But certain things, certain difficult situations and trials, we might not ever understand. But we can understand and know that God is working in every single one of those wilderness situations. He does that for those who follow him. There will be blessed times. There will be difficult times. But the Lord is faithful all the time, every day, through every circumstance. Amen?